We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where many of you have been here every week. Some of you have not been here for years, but are returning. And a few of you are returning because of the awesomeness that is Krebs Point One. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> for those of you that are returning, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. We called him Krebs Point Two or whatever. Yeah. Oh, but, I love your intros, Dan. Yes. Love you anyway. Anyways, folks, we have a great, great episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that is dear, dear to my heart, as well as Krebs and Krebs Point One and One Point Oh. Let's give him. Let's give him a whole point. Okay. One Point Oh. One tenth Krebs, who's back, by the way. Welcome back, my brother Matthew. Hello, hello. The other Krebs here. Uh, and I wanted to uh, give a quick shout out. We actually were doing some real dungeon crawling tonight before the show. Uh, Krebs over there was uh, playing Descent uh, with my sons, Eric and Ammon. And I wanted to uh, give them a shout out. We had a wonderful time crawling through dungeons and killing bad guys tonight. It was apropos that while we were doing that and, and doing our dungeon crawl together in Descent, uh, Daniel called me, touched base with me. We talked about whether or not Alton was going to be able to make the show tonight, found out he could not make the show tonight. And then I turned to my brother, who's all of 18 inches from my shoulder. And I was like, hey, you want to be on the show again tonight? And he's all, yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we, no. we crawled a dungeon and came up with the treasure of friendship. Yes. <laughs> Just like My Little Pony. Nice. So it's magic. What Krebs... So I want you to realize this is the kind of person Krebs is. When Dan says, hey, have you seen Alton? Krebs says, hey, Matt, you want to get on the show? He doesn't go check my trunk. Even though I've told you guys, Alton's in my trunk. That's true. Uh, You have successfully rolled your bluff skill. So well done. Well, Well to be fair, I think Alton's sitting on a beach. But maybe. I don't know. Which I think means Alton successfully rolled his bluff skill (laughs) maybe 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 Maybe. either that or your brother's really good at uh you know his stealth and uh deception checks so my brother's a paladin that's what every assassin wants you to believe yes yes for those of you that have not caught on we're probably going to be talking about dungeons and dragons or role playing in some form or fashion with all of the the uh yeah, all the, the wonderful little puns and things we're doing here. So, but we have a great guest. Uh, need, needless to say, um, he, he's been on this show before. Funnily enough, tremendous. about the same time that Krebs showed up on the show. Oh, not about. <laughs> uh, so we got Morgan Smith on the show of Cryowin Games. We're going to talk more about why he is awesome and epic and you should pay attention to him. But first, I'm going to throw it over Ooh. to Krebs 2.0. Uh, I, I, this is just so confusing. Look, um, I am Krebs and he's other Krebs. Okay, we're just going to make this simple. We're going to make it simple. We got Krebs and brother of Krebs. Done. That absolutely is not ambiguous in any way. <laughs> I love everything about this. <laughs> so uh matthew matthew why don't you start off with your news your geek news for the week oh, oh yes wait a minute we got geek news we gotta talk about don't worry daniel that's why we're yep. co-hosts yes we are here to help you're the host we're the co-hosts but that's why we're here you know if if, if you didn't keep things on track we'd probably fall apart it's as simple as that oh i love you too yeah because all As every good up, so work marriage should be like. That's right. Well, I was hoping Daniel would respond with, I know. Anyway. Oh, I know. So, yeah. Matthew, Matthew, geek news. Go. Geek news. All right. There was a number of new trailers that have dropped uh, recently. Uh, the House of the Dragon for you, Song of Ice and Fire, or uh, if you Song of Ice and Fire fans, um, if you are a Game of Thrones fan instead, that just means you're not a enough of a book nerd but uh (laughs) house of the dragon is the prequel uh to all of that it it is the tv series for which mr george rr martin has abandoned his book series to go help produce so again there's probably some mixed feelings in the fandom about that however matt smith uh, plays a prominent role in this new series i I can only hope he does a better job in that than he did in morbius 
Uh, but again, I'm sure it's not Matt Smith. It it was the directors. So you can't cool. go too wrong with with Matt Smith. He's he's pretty awesome. Um, I assume this is Matt Smith of the Doctor. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. For, for for the record, if Matt Smith is ever in a project that's like if he's ever in a role that's bad or he gets like bad reviews, it's not his fault. Ever, oh, I know because he's no. that good. It's no, never his not. fault. I just wish yeah. he would have showed up in episode nine as planned. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Go on, Matthew. And then another trailer that dropped was Avatar, the sequel to Avatar. Yes. Avatar, the way of water. This is not airbending. These are the blue Navi. Uh, and we can the, just skip this one. Yeah, the reaction <laughs> to the trailer is, is visually stunning. It has a lot of the same things that made the first Avatar movie um, why, why it was so popular. Just the, the visual effects, the colors, everything are, are really kind of amazing. But a lot of people are asking, and then what? With a yeah. sequel, you kind of want to build on what you had before. So if you, if you want to see more of the same, the trailer is there. Uh, there's not a whole lot more about the movie that's been released yet. And the other one um, that I wanted to talk about, although it's not quite as fresh as the others, is a movie called Weird. The Al Yankovic story. I am so excited for this movie. Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al Yankovic. Daniel Radcliffe. And we're talking like 80s curly hair perm. It is going to be amazing. My only problem with this is Weird Al is is really tall. And you've got one of the shortest dudes on the planet playing him. Yeah. average height? Even from one of the stills, you can see an actor playing Dr. Demento, which is one of my childhood idols. I can't wait. To oh every gosh, Christmas, so I play the Dr. Demento album. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely so, love it. So here's well, my well, prediction. Film positioning can make somebody look really tall. I mean, look at the guy, uh, and uh, uh, forgive me, nerds out there, the guy who played the Punisher in, in the recent like, Netflix John, John Bernthal. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, he's not tall. He's kind of a short dude, but they make him look monster. Yeah, yeah, well, and he will actually—he will absolutely wreck you. He's that guy. Oh, that, that <laughs> like, I believe that I just part's don't think real. He's taller than me, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna throw a prediction out now. Avatar two is is like two and a half hours of them swimming around doing weird stuff, and then the last 20, 30 minutes they suddenly think, "Oh, we have to throw in some weird plot twist." So they do that, and then it rushes to the end. That's well, possible. I'm I'm fully expecting uh, a sequel to both Avatar and Kevin Costner's Waterworld at the same time, and I'm okay with this. <laughs> you know, if Kevin Boilers, Costner shows you guys, up. You ruined the whole movie. That now. might be cool, but uh, I don't know. There's rumors that the Avatar series is actually seven movies long, and I don't know how they're going. To I don't make know, that man. Work. I mean, they're they're going to get to five. Well, from what I understand, they're doing like four more sequels to the first, so they'll have a five movie series. Uh, well, and I, five is a stretch. Come I on. Know. Well, I, I, well, I know. Well, at least it's cheaper if you film them all at the same time. Yeah. We learned that from Harry Potter. And let's be realistic. It all depends on how the second one does. The first one was the highest grossing movie of all time up to that point. The second one. So, it, so it, funny enough, it still is the highest grossing film of all time because Endgame beat it. Then they re-released it yeah. so that they can make more money. They put and, it back in theaters just to get more ticket sales. Yeah, there you which go. I think is ridiculous. It should go off of the original release. So this the second one, you know, there's a you never know what's going to happen. If it beats the first one and takes the crown again, then yeah, there's going to be seven movies of this. But the more likely scenario is that it's not going to reach that far. No. If it does pretty well then there might be some more movies. But if it does not, if it's not a true blockbuster of some kind, nah, this is the end of the Avatar series. I, I don't know anyone that speaks highly of this movie and it is like, oh, I, I got to see more. Hi, Daniel. Nice to meet you. That's okay. <laughs> All right, well, I, I guess, do, I guess more I'm going to go see it. I, I know, right? Uh, and, and, and I, not speaking of Morgan, but I do have some friends. I said it, so I'm going to wait till it's Redbox. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I do have a, a, a friend in particular that comes to mind that like this is their favorite movie of all time, which is which is not me. But then again, I love Kroll. So what are you going to do? So this is it's, his favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, oh, I, I, I hate for, to say this, but that friend's never welcome to co-host. <laughs> well, and then and then Morgan immediately signs off. No. You know, Morgan, he didn't say it's his favorite show of all time, so we're good. He kept raising his hand. He's on the Zoom. He just said, I like it. 
<laughs> you said favorite uh, movie. He's like, for, <laughs> for uh for for one very specific reason, it is my it is still to this day like one of my top three movies. Is it unobtainium? Uh, top three, and, uh, we're okay. Yeah, unobtainium. Yeah. What a slacker writing thing. Come oh yeah, on. that that was lame for sure. I will grant you that. Uh, just but as a writer, the the intent of wanting to immerse an audience in a world that blows their mind. Avatar absolutely blew the socks off the off of Earth. You know, planet Earth with like when they introduced the movie, it was mind blowing. Pandora shook a lot of the things of what people thought of fantasy and sci-fi worlds as. Um, and so for that reason, it, it, it will always have like mad respect for me. Hmm. That's fair. I'll, That's I'll, fair. I'll jump on that. I, uh, I was going through a phase where I didn't want a whole lot of TV or a whole lot of movies uh, in my life. And uh, Krebs uh, kind of engineered a, a, a little Christmas conspiracy where I got my first flat screen and a PlayStation, which is also a, a Blu-ray player. And mm -hmm. Avatar was the first Blu-ray disc that I ever owned. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I put that in the Blu-ray player on this high definition uh, flat screen TV. Um, uh, it was a spectacle. Uh, the way that I described it, if you're under 13, close your ears, my eyes had an orgasm. It was just <laughs> really amazing the 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 quality the detail the colors it was just it from that point on it uh, it did kind of change my life in that i gotta have blu-ray i gotta have a high def tv um and it it kind of got me back give me a reason to watch tv again so so here's the sad thing i own the movie i bought it it's still in its plastic wrap oh boy i also own the movie and i've had i i've let other people watch it but i I th I don't remember if I've ever actually put the disc. I think I did one time. I think I did one time. I just it's one. I, I see it and I'm like, oh, uh, I'm gonna watch Ocean's Eleven. But hey, hey, or, or uh, disclaimer, else. disclaimer. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is not a review of Avatar. Okay, so <laughs> my, my last piece of of nerd news, just to close it out. We started with a discussion that mentioned the Doctor. I'm gonna end with the Doctor. Doctor okay. Who. They have cast. Naguti Gatwa, please forgive mm -hmm. me if I didn't pronounce that right, as the new 14th Doctor. Yep. This is, uh, again, kind of continuing with uh, adding some diversity to the cast. Uh, this is a Black man playing the Doctor, you know, prior, you know, instead of being a whole bunch of white men. Uh, so we, we've, uh, we've had a woman and we've had a, uh, we're having a Black man now. Uh, so it's interesting to see where they're going to take the series. And I love this quote. Uh, from Mr. Gatwa, unlike the doctor, I may only have one heart, but I am giving it all to this show. Oh, so one that's, thing I actually loved that's about precious. This, okay. Russell T. Davies, who's taking over again, he actually spoke on this and he said, making this selection wasn't about diversity. It was all about who was the better actor to move forward. And that, that I, I, I love because it wasn't about race, skin, color, anything like that. It was who would be the best person to care to move forward. Um, but yet, is, still, still no gingers. What the crap? Come on, guys. Well, he said he, he was afraid of being a ginger, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we have a ginger companion, though? Yeah, we oh, had several. multiple gingers. We've got uh -huh. Donna, we've got Amy, tons yeah. of gingers, but no ginger doctor yet. What the heck? Come on. <laughs> Dr. Pepper uh, on the way. Yes. <laughs> that All does right. speak something nicely of the the way that uh hollywood is kind of structuring itself now uh, you know not that uh you know bbc is necessarily hollywood um but just like hey who's got the who's got the chops to do it doesn't matter yes. what they look like that yeah. is nice to hear i a million percent uh, support that mentality i do too awesome daniel do you have any geek news for us today i do i do so for uh i mean a lot of mine unfortunately is star wars stuff because it's just unfortunately uh, so for those of you that are excited, two days ago, the Ahsoka series for Disney Plus started production, mm -hmm. which we're all excited about that. Um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi director uh, spoke up about the challenges of dealing with Star Wars canon, especially <laughs> the new limited canon uh, for the Kenobi series, uh, which is very interesting. Um, 
And if you, if you, I mean, we only have to wait a couple more weeks because I'm so on the, excited. the 25th, uh, the new Obi-Wan series comes out. It's only six episodes, folks, but uh, so is Moon Knight, and that was still awesome. Yeah, what? Just why is that the 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 number that was landed on? You know, of Disney's I'm gonna like, say, oh, we, we I'm gonna like say six. expense and risk. I'm thinking it really is because uh, there's well, been well, a lot of talk for Moon Knight. For Moon Knight, oh. it was expense and risk, right? Yeah. But for and, Kenobi, and Kenobi, it's it's very high production. It's almost movie it quality is. production. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think it is they're they're really struggling to kind of getting their foot in the sand with this series because uh, (laughs) they've had some some failures in a way with star wars yeah but you know what the other thing that that strikes me here and and this will date three of the four of us but you know in the (laughs) 80s in in the 80s and 90s you know miniseries were all the rage and they would be between they would be like three four or six episodes i don't remember one being five there probably was a fiver out there but it was usually three or four or six episodes right yeah um uh the stand and it were both stephen king miniseries that were limited you know they limited run series that were six episodes each and I think this falls into that category where they they want to make something that's bigger than a movie, smaller than a show. It is a finite set of lore that they have to cover. And so six is the magic number for the Kenobi thing. Moon Knight, I would love to have had eight episodes or even ten episodes. Like eight, eight I can agree with. Six feels like, like we're getting short shrift there, right? But it, it, it ramped down rather fast. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, it was, I was gonna amazing. With, I absolutely loved it. With Kenobi, I think Kenobi is a, a, itself a full feature film, but they found that it's easier to break it into six, epi- you know, sections, and put it out as six episodes. Because I mean, just the look of it, feel, and it just looks it's like a be solid film. Yeah. So uh, yeah, with Kenobi, I'm really surprised they're only doing six episodes because. The the fan response when they said they were getting Ewan McGregor back was was really, really positive. So I know I agree with Dan that there's been a lot of the Star Wars stuff that's been somewhat experimental and they're, you know, cautious and trying to manage risk. But with Kenobi, I really don't think there's going to be much of a risk unless the writing sucks. No, I think I think the variables here are Ewan McGregor is a big star. He's not as young as he used to be, but he is still, you know, quite spry. But between the cost of him, the cost of production and trying to do it right, I feel like six is the right number in this case because it's meant to be a one and done series, right? Like it's meant to be this special event. And that's it. I think there are a lot of variables at play here behind the scenes. I don't know that Ewan McGregor's like, oh, you know what I really want is to be on this thing for like three seasons. I don't think he's, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's there for that. Plus well, Ewan fun. McGregor, if you ever hear my accent, I'm sorry. I, you know, <laughs> honestly, they've got a great cast for this. And so it's definitely not going, uh, they're not going cheap on it. I still want to figure out how that crap Ice Cube is, is in the series. <laughs> Um, Ice Cube is in the series. Yes, he's he's part of the cast, but they have Hayden Christensen coming back as Vader. Yes, um, they, you know, so there there's a lot of great people uh, in the film. I'm excited. So the one thing that will be interesting is how well this will go, um, and it is being toted as a TV miniseries. Yes, yes, uh, on IMDb. Well, so. Disney has. I had some pretty good success with this stuff lately. You know, Falcon and the yeah. Soldier, uh, Moon Knight, uh, Hawkeye. I, I'm certainly forgetting one of them. Um, Loki. Loki, thank you. Uh, that is the other one. Uh, but yeah, they have all been pretty stellar. Admittedly, Hawkeye was my least favorite of all those. Um, but was still enjoyable. Very. Uh, yeah. it, it was more. It was far more subtle than the other ones. But uh, it did feel like, overall, like six was a good feel there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm super stoked. And and let's be let's be clear about this. Like I realize Disney is is hosting this, Disney is funding this, and I and I'm very grateful for that. But I wanna like split hairs on this. And I wanna say that like Kevin Feige, I hope I'm saying his name right. Yep. Kevin right. Kevin Feige, John Favreau, Dave uh Filoni, and their team of directors, because they have a small team like uh, Taika Waititi and a few others in there. Uh the Bryce Dallas Howard comes to mind. Yeah. These are the people 
who have had success making these shows work. These are the people who make it work, right? Um, So I'm super stoked that their voices are being given a stage uh, from which to be heard. And and I'm glad you brought Mm -hmm. up Kevin Feige because uh, he, there is still plans for him to do a star Wars film, but it's going to be a separate story in the get in, you know, our favorite galaxy Mm. far, far away. So I think that will be, that's really going to show where we can go with this. Cause he's done a great job with the Marvel universe. I would like to see what he does in the Star Wars universe. Well, here's hoping that he heard last week's episode of DCR and uh, he gets our dream cast for the Timothy Zahn series. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> but okay. the problem, problem with that is we'd have to rewrite, you know, 7, 8, and 9. So. No, it's just we had to get the right 7, 8, and 9. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Small right. small shout out here while we're on the topic of like miniseries and different series in general is uh, please give us more Daredevil. I oh my it. gosh. Give us more Daredevil <laughs> and I would not be mad to get the Punisher back. You got it. You got oh, yeah. more Daredevil. Didn't you watch Spider-Man? He's a really good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> really good lawyer. That is. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan <laughs> did you have any more geek news? Nope. We're good. Awesome. Let me throw down just a few more things here. I realize we're we're like 20 minutes in now, but hang on a second, guys. All right. So really quick, uh, there is an Elden Ring player out there who I am certain has sacrificed many elements of real life to make this happen. But there's an Elden Ring player out there who has beaten the boss millennia. Uh, millennia? millennia? It's a female millennia and coincidentally has beaten her a thousand times she is uh notorious for being possibly the most difficult boss to beat in the game there are many people who have not beaten her ever and he has beaten her a thousand times uh rip your social life but congrats my dude you know one that's going to be even more funny when they actually reveal who that person is he's some nine-year-old kid that lives in it you know that lives up home i like turtles yeah, I like turtles. <laughs> I, I want I want a Sempanard that has big poops. <laughs> and then uh, going back to the Avatar thing for a moment, uh, for a moment there, I thought my brother was going to steal my thunder on this one. But in addition to the Avatar The Way of the Waters teaser dropping, it garnered nearly 150 million views the day it dropped. You want to know why that happened? Because everyone's like, what the crap? They're making a sequel? No, right, everyone's known. This. this is not this is not news. Everyone's known. Like James Cameron is like, so I've got way too much money, other people's money, and I want to make four more of these. And we're I like, I get oh, that, okay. but people were still I, I'm sure people were still like, wow, they, he actually did it. What the crap is this about? Oh, it's a bunch of guys. Wait a minute. They were in trees before. Now they're there are people they're, there are people mermaids now what the heck there are people who love avatar the way that you and i love star wars it's a fact and 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 we don't we don't nerd shame right like right we don't but i i love making fun of it that's fair that's fair yeah i'll 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 put it here you know there is a line in the sand that i draw and that is twilight Uh, this still uh, ranks above twilight so that's so funny because for uh, me it's for me it's mm-hmm. furries but that's cool <laughs> you know that, that's that's almost there but they're still more acceptable than twilight <laughs> the line <laughs> is drawn between furries and twilight yes the wavelength that uh, you know happens between the two of them is very slim <laughs> Ooh, sparkly furries huh daniel will tolerate yiffing will not tolerate sparkling yeah. Right. <laughs> Please do not Google yiffing. All right, so here we go. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Good. So Stay that to. way. It, you're a better person. Good. All right. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> so number three, number three, item number three, uh, because it's germane to tonight's topic. So I came across a headline, D&D Beyond, which is the online component for D&D, which gives you the entire library of D&D books for a subscription fee. It's a, it's a which... great system. Which is being acquired by, uh, which has been acquired by Wizards of the Wizards Coast of officially, the Coast. and will officially drop uh, that that sanction uh, in a week from now. So yes. that's cool. That's going to be very cool. Um, they have a new book coming out, Monsters of the Multiverse, but that book is a compendium that 
heavily overlaps with two other existing books, older books. Uh, they are Volo's Guide to Monsters and Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. And because that content is largely covered in the new Monsters of the Multiverse book that is coming out, those two titles will be dropping off of D&D Beyond's library. They will stay up through May 17th, but they will be coming down thereafter. So if those are books that you really enjoy, first of all, don't freak out too much because that material will appear, almost all of it will appear in the Monsters of the Multiverse book. But it also, it might be wise if you truly love those tomes to get physical or PDF copies before they are gone. And that, my friends, after more than twice as much time as we're supposed to take is geek news for the week. But That's only because we kept talking about other things. And... It's because we have such a great guest who could just jump in there and give us insight onto things like why th- you know, three out of four nerds might not appreciate Avatar, but one out of four do. Hey, hey, we're, we're doing really it. well then. You know, mm. One out of four of us likes Avatar. <laughs> that's right, that's right. That seems like my usual odds. <laughs> So, gang, we have tonight our guest is Morgan Smith, and this is a special moment for me personally. First of all, Morgan is one of my dearest friends in the whole world. He and I go back. We have known each other for 14 years this summer. Hey, I've known him for 14 years, too. Yeah, we became friends just in like Morgan and I became friends just in time for Daniel Morgan and I to become friends. Because (laughs) the way that Daniel met both Morgan and me was that we were playing, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I really enjoy the RPGs by a company called Palladium. And we were playing Dead Rain at a a, a small, uh, like, then brand new nerd event in Salt Lake. It was called SLC Nerd. We were playing Dead Rain there. Daniel saw us. And he came over. He's like, what are you guys playing? We showed him. He goes, I've been wanting to to talk to someone about the Palladium system and have them on our show. I've got this podcast. Would you be interested? We came on DCR like 13 years ago, and the rest Mm -hmm. has been bro history, right? Uh, Morgan was in that group. Uh, It was me and a group of our player friends, and Morgan was in that group. So Morgan Smith, welcome back to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. How you doing, I'm feeling like there's some major nepotism going on here now. Yeah, yeah. Like all four of us are brothers, either literally or metaphorically. It's like like the brother of Krebs, the friend of Krebs. This should just be renamed the Krebs Show. Good idea. Next week, it's the all of this. Hey, it worked for the Osmonds, okay? Yeah, (laughs) and the Jacksons. Yeah, I mean, look, we're coming together just for Michael. That redheaded stepchild that showed up. Yeah, way to go, Danny Bonaduce. Here we go. Yeah. Anyways, no, it's great to have you back. Uh, in fact, Thank it was you. kind of Glad funny. Back. Morgan and I ran into each other at FanX uh, here last year, and we chatted. Yeah. So um, now, which it, if you've never heard the term "Small Lake City," it's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> you, you meet you meet five people, and every two years you run into them like clockwork. <laughs> Daniel and I have had that sort of relationship just on and off, just occasionally running into each other. It doesn't matter where. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Now. The biggest reason for, you know, like I hinted at earlier before I realized or forgot that we're supposed to do geek news uh, is because we're talking about DMing, gaming, role playing. And the cool thing is, is Morgan is a professional DM or GM, which however so you cool. want to, to spin that, um, which is really cool uh, because of the pandemic and other things. A lot of people have kind of stepped up and they're now getting paid to do what some of us have loved to do for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, I have uh-huh. two decades. 30 <laughs> years, I've never been paid for it. This is sad. Congratulate. I, Morgan's like, that's just lost revenue, bro. Well, see, the, the crazy thing is, is, you know, you talk like to Tracy Hickman, and he's like, yeah, I've DM for 40 years or whatever, and I, I get paid for it, and you're like, I've done it for 30, and I haven't made a penny. What the heck? <laughs> I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> but no, I think it's really cool. Uh, you provide this service to people. So I'm going to let you explain what you do and how you, you make people's gaming dreams come true. Sure. Uh, so really the way that I boil it down is I'm just a professional storyteller. And the way that I uh, portray my stories is through the medium of tabletop games, specifically Dungeons and Dragons. Um, 
And really, my services, the reason that I charge for them is one, because I put a buttload of time into making sure that the stories are incredible. Um, I have a unique like um, a file system and program set up. Uh, I use uh, a digital tabletop called Foundry VTT. And the, their like very, very easy to use uh, server hosting system called Forge. Uh, and on that, I utilize uh, a mix of great content from uh, images and music and uh, just uh, stuff that I get from the, the official books and my own uh, token art. And I blend it all into a very immersive story. Um, and that's, and, and really I am crafting a, a unique narrative for each and every person that I interact with. And some of my games go online, some of them don't. Um, but really it's, and, and this, is, this is true of, of many great DMs, uh, those here on the show included, that they are doing, they're putting so much time in behind the scenes that it becomes this almost a full-time job to run one game. So you, you said some of your games go online, some of them don't. Can you elaborate on that? Like, what do you mean by that? Sure. Uh, so I've been doing uh, professional DMing for about a year now. I'm right up on the cusp of my one-year mark. I wanted to give myself a year before I started getting into the streaming space. And so now I'm starting to research that, starting to do that. I'm starting to, to work on recording in streaming, putting things on Twitch. One of my players, um, um, uh, a guy named Q, who you know, Krebs, uh, he asked he asked me if uh, he could record the games and put them on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, man, sure. Like, I'm not to the point where I want to start like producing that level of content because uh, I'm still just trying to get the hang of the professional and online portion of D&D because I've done it, uh, it just in person uh, previous to that. Uh, and I said, sure. So uh, yeah, one of my campaigns, uh, almost every episode that we've run uh, is on his YouTube channel, That's uh, awesome. which is which turns out to be kind of great because uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to a new player, somebody who's interested in maybe joining, uh, they're like, hey, do you have any clips? I'm like, yeah, man, I have, I've got like 30 episodes worth of clips, which is way too many hours, but sure, <laughs> go ahead. Now I have to ask the most important question of all, does mm -hmm. he have an Aston Martin? Does he have an Aston Martin? Because he's Q. That's a James yeah. Bond reference. Yes. Okay. Okay. That. Oh. Okay. That just went. Yep. <laughs> this is why he likes Avatar. He doesn't get the James Bond references. I was hoping you're gonna come. I was hoping you would come back with with a sufficient answer of like no, but he has an Austin Powers baby. Yeah. But that's that probably awesome. that's probably too dangerous. That was well, awesome. So. No, I, I think it's really cool um, that you're you're spinning it as a professional storyteller. Because I mean, really, what what a what it boils down to that a DM or a GM is, is the storyteller. You know, you've crafted a narrative that you're delivering to your players and then they then decide what they're going to do within that narrative. And a lot of the times, I mean, we've talked about this before, being a, a, a GM, you have to be on your toes because even though you plan oh, yeah. out this narrative, they don't always follow it. <laughs> so when you're running a game, whether it's online or in person, what are some tips or tricks that you use when they go off script? You have this script planned and they, they decide, you know, instead of saving the princess, they want to go nuke the town. Sure. Uh, so in, in that regards, I say preparation is key. Um, the first step of preparation is prepare for them to not do what you think they're going to do. <laughs> so that way when it happens you're not surprised and you don't have this like mind moment where it breaks down and you're suddenly thinking oh no what do I do if you're always kind of in that space of like no they're just going to go off the rails at some point and that's okay then it, it impacts you less it, it makes you falter a little bit less as well so that brings up a good point too because um I, I've recently so allow me to like lay some foundation here <laughs> for, for many years, like for decades, there was this principle of the wizard's dilemma or the wizard's choice. And the basic thrust is you present the 
players with the illusion of choice. You give them two or three paths, but all those paths ultimately lead to the same thing or they can try something but it's doomed to fail they'll try the second thing and it's doesn't quite work and the third thing ultimately there's not really any choice you're going to force them you're going to funnel them into this one direction right uh and for many years that was a principle that dms held on to in more recent history there have been uh, contemporary dms who have come out and said don't do that that's messing with your players in a horribly violatory way in terms of trust. If you're going, if, if you want them to choose something, then give them choice. If they need to do something, just let them know that's what they're going to do next, right? Like don't give them the illusion of choice because it breaks trust. In terms of those two principles, do you agree with one more than the other? Do you think that both are viable tools? What's your opinion on this? So... Very much so in the, and I'm going to go a little uh, fantasy philosophical here. Uh, back in the day, uh, old, older fantasy novels, you know, the, the villain was always black and the hero was always white. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking race. I'm talking about uh, like alignments, like yeah, yeah, imagery, like you know, full evil versus full good. And those stories I find pretty boring. Uh, nowadays, uh, the villains are typically very likable, and in a different light, they could be very much so the hero of the story instead, but uh, they're just going about their goals in a very uh, destructive way, typically. Um, I kind of fall into that, so I'm a fan of that gray zone, uh, and in this case, I'm also a fan of the gray zone. Uh, every once in a while, yeah, there is something that is going to happen based on the choices that have made up until that moment. Uh, sometimes they can take a couple of different routes to get to the same place and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Every choice doesn't have to be an absolutely unique experience, but this is a tool. You use it too much and you can easily burn bridges with your players. And that could be very dangerous. It can be uh, destructive. People can get very upset because when people are playing in these games, they are very invested. It's not just you know, it's not just you have an avatar on a game, on a, on a PC game or, or an Xbox or a PlayStation game that if they die, like, oh, well, I'll just make another one. No, when you're acting and you put yourself into these player characters, it means something. There is far more investment there. So you do have to ensure that you're not hurting that kind of relationship. But ultimately, the choice of what players do can oh my gosh it can make the story so much better yeah. players feed me so much of my content it, it, it's delicious yeah no it, going back to your villain comment uh i, I know this will give me some crap but i think Voldemort is the weakest villain in, in the harry potter series the, the I agree. true villain the, the true gnarly really despicable villain in that series is umbridge you know she, you know, she has that mask of sweetness and everything, but she is notoriously evil. And I, and I like that. I like that combination. Mm -hmm. It's not that black I, white. Yeah, I don't hate Voldemort. I hate Umbridge. Yes. Yeah. See, <laughs> Voldemort's just like, okay, he's this creepy looking dude that's going after a kid instead of destroying the world. But Umbridge is like, oh, I, it's like Joffrey from Game of Thrones. You just oh, want great. her to get her comeuppance. Um, him and so those are the really oh, good her. Ones. yeah umbridge you're right you're right I yes, umbridge yeah in, in pink um and and i agree every time i've ran a game and i've pulled back my players have delivered more amazing things to me for the game than anything it's given me material it's given me ideas and it's just from either silly dumb things they've done or serious things they've done and it's it's great when they're so invested that those things you know, develop naturally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. So Morgan, I mean, like you, you mentioned that you've been a pro DM for about a year now, mm -hmm. but obviously well, there's, there's two things that come to mind about this. One is I'm glad it's only been a year because we're going to ask you like, how did you get your start? Like, how did you begin this process? And because it's only been about a year, this is something that other experienced DMs can also look at right away, as opposed to like other guests we've had in different areas where it's like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. How'd you get started? Well, it took me, you know, three years to get my foot in the door and seven years to, it, it, it's this huge drawn out process, but you were able to do this in a year. So I want to, I want to yeah. talk about like how you got started, but also I want to talk about 
what led to this point in time? Like, uh, you know, how did you cut your teeth? How did you get your chops? And how did you get to the point that you wanted to be a pro DM? So let's let's start there. Let's start with like your RPG past. Tell us a little sure. bit about like your background. Sure. So I've been a nerd since birth. <laughs> I know everybody who knows me is completely surprised. Um, no, uh, but uh, going through high school and whatnot, I didn't really have a chance to play d and uh, None of my friends were. Uh, but when I got to my second year of college and I, I started at the computer science school where uh, Krebs and I met, uh, suddenly there both was this Krebs. group. You met both Krebs there. Yeah, you did. I did. I, I did. One of them was not a student at the time, but I met them both because of it. Um, <clears throat> I, but uh, the Joshua Krebs, uh, my, my best friend at that school, as of day one, we became lab partners. And I, you know, he starts talking about uh, doing tabletop. And I'm like, oh, man, I've heard about that. That sounds really fun. Uh, and he's like, cool, join us. And so we start this campaign uh, on Palladium's Dead Rain. And it was so fun, so fulfilling, so freeing and, uh, and, and monumental to me to not be bound by the confines of the rules of a video game. And, you know, we could do literally anything that we wanted as long as like the dice, you know, rolled true and whatnot. Uh, and we were being completely cockamamie. Uh, and we did some crazy stuff. Uh, my first character, uh, his name was Bricks. Um, or, um, Brixton. And, yeah, Brixton. And he was a pyrotechnic high rope or high, uh, uh, tightrope walking sword wielder who performed at a circus and then the zombie apocalypse and he lost his daughter in the chaos. That was basically the, the entire subject matter of the first arc. And it was crazy fun. I had, it was such a blast. Yeah, I, I think I was in that campaign too. I, I loved your character and what it could do. I loved that uh, the, the way that Krebs led us grow our characters and go through things. Uh, you, you mentioned that you're a nerd since birth, just as a, a side tangent here. Um, yes, we've all definitely, one of the things about nerds is that the things they do for fun, other people would never do on a dare. So, you know, <laughs> you, you, you just kind of mentioned this in passing, but how many nerds do you know who graduated from college and then go back just to hang out with cool people like you? So yeah, that, that was me on my lunch breaks, coming over to see my brother and uh, mm -hmm. these other geeks in training uh, going to this college. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. It really was. And uh, Krebs was, you know, my first mentor as a dungeon master uh, or a game master, you know, depending on how you spin it. Um, and he was amazing. And all he had was dice, storytelling, a whiteboard and a marker. And that was all he needed. And I still remember these incredibly immersive scenes and uh, this bunker that we went into for a doomsday prepper. And it actually like turned out that dude was right and it was fantastic. Um, and to this day, I still, he still supplied one of the greatest villains I have ever met, the man in white. Uh, the man in white was this zombie, uh, magician almost and he had it this smells like strawberries i think yes Rotten, fetid strawberries right straight black hair that didn't even move in the wind like white clothing pale skin his mental picture or his mental presence that he sent out to all of us when we were uh just near him was the scent of fetid strawberries and ice cold water like that of a brain freeze but just in your mind not in the actual brain and that guy still terrifies the crap out of me because we never beat him <laughs> we never found out we all the stuff that he could do but we knew it was going to be bad oh it's terrible he defeated our strongest party member with like a basically a flip of a wrist and turned him into an enemy and and that that scared us we ran away in a pickup truck uh, basically with our tails between the legs and we would do it again. <laughs> now you mentioned something there, Morgan, about, you know, the, those campaigns, uh, Krebs ran somewhat uh, a minimalist uh, mm -hmm. camp campaign as far as accessories and things like that go. And that relies 
you're absolutely right on the GM's ability to paint a picture with words and the player's ability to pick up what he's laying down. Yeah. Right. You know, you, you draw enough on the whiteboard so that we could get a picture of relative positions, but I kept picturing in one place there where you, uh, your pyrokinetic character walked through a gas station and uh, with, with predictable results, but we needed to get rid of a horde of zombies and blowing up a gas station seemed like a good idea. But yeah. the setting for that, in my mind, was the Briggsmore overpass in Modesto. That's actually what I was Ooh. using. <laughs> so, but I'm sure it was different for each person, but there was real enough there that I could relate it to something that, that I knew. Now, mm -hmm. one thing with being a professional uh, GM, um, there's a lot of people out there that I think are intimidated. Like they want to be a great player. They know the rules pretty well inside and out, but they never have enough whatever to take the next step to say i want to lead the game because they're always afraid or intimidated by how much prep work would have to go into it what they would have to do and they don't have the soundtrack they can't do multiple voices they aren't going to bring in costumes or uh, cost uh cosplay replicas uh into into their into their thing um and so they feel kind of intimidated that they have to do that now compared to the, the amateur GM versus the professional GM uh, experience, because there's audiences for, for both of those. How would you differentiate between them? What's something that would be comforting for an amateur GM to, to, uh, to know for their first time out? And what's the difference between those games and what a professional GM like you would, would supply? Sure. So I want to start in the, 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 the smaller gradient first, and then I'll go up higher. Um, first and foremost, please do not compare yourself to other DMs and GMs. Take inspiration all you, all you can, please and thank you. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, helpful community of people that you know, want to see this industry grow. And it's really, this, in, this industry of a professional GM is really only a few years old. COVID catapulted it incredibly, uh, incredibly into the stratosphere and it's been amazing. Um, but uh, so take inspiration. However, don't compare. Find what works for you and adapt it. You as an artist, as a storyteller, you're going to have a voice that nobody else has. Don't try to mimic. Just double down on what you are good at and learn over time. You don't have to have all this stuff done and ready and, and good to go from day one. I certainly didn't. Um, and I've learned over time what works, what doesn't work. And it's just, I build on my skills and every week I promise my players I'm going to work on something new. Like I'm going to, I'm going to learn something else to add. And that's been very helpful for me. Uh, now comparing that to the quality of a professional, a professional, in my opinion, this is the way that I take it in the way that uh, my cohorts take it. And I've made uh, several good friends that are professional DMs as well, is that we take it seriously. It's not some flighty thing. I'm sure many people who have been in tabletop games, you know, you know, have a, a GM who doesn't show up or, you know, it's hard to, or it's hard to schedule or, or, or it's like, it, it seems like it's very low commitment from everything. But as a professional, you give me your money to tell you a story. I'm going to be there. I'm going to tell you a great story. I'm going to make it worth your while as a player to be there. I'm going to make you cry and make you afraid and make you, pump your hands up in triumph. And I want to, a professional knows how to like get those things to happen because we've practiced it. Um, if you don't know how to do that yet, then practice it. Get, just find some people who are comfortable enough to, to be in that space with you in a, in a method of learning. There's plenty of players who feel that same level of intimidation about coming into a game for the first time and just be like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna learn for it together. Admit that and they'll respect you for it. There's a principle that comes to mind here, and I've talked to people about this over the years uh, when I was a teacher, and the idea is if, if we're always like our harshest critic and we look at ourselves, we're like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to let my players down if I try to GM for the first time. I, I don't think I have a good story, yada, yada. And, but the moment you flip those tables around, the moment you say, okay, what if you were a player in that situation and you had a DM or a GM who really was trying hard and it, and it just didn't go well, would you like hate them and mock them and spur the, and spurn them? Probably not. You'd be very, very forgiving. And the point Unless is- we're talking about Avatar. 
unless we're talking about Avatar. Um, <laughs> no forgiveness. No forgiveness. Uh, but the point is, is, the point is, if you would forgive a DM who's really like committed and trying earnestly, there are other players, probably your friends, your player group would be just as forgiving toward you. And so you have to hold that in your mind. You have to be kind to your young DM self, as it were. You have to be kind to yourself in that space and recognize that other people are not going to castigate you just because you didn't get it right on the first try or the 10th try. They're going to be very forgiving and they're going to be very helpful, a lot more than you might think in your mind. Well, mm -hmm. none of that. Yeah. Ultimately, this is a game. It's not like this is real life. It's not like, oh no, if, if you mess up something, it's maybe we'll just mess up that beat. It maybe we'll mess up that session, maybe at, at, at worst, honestly. But it's a game, and people are pretty forgiving when it comes to games. Absolutely, like I know. I know. Yeah. In the past, I've I've made mistakes. I, I've messed up it, it, as a GM, but it, in the end, it was still fun. We still had fun overall, and sometimes those are some of the greatest stories. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I remember that one time you screwed up and you you did this and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it turns out then it's the same way with the players. Sometimes their most epic fails because they're like, oh, I'm going to do this really cool thing. I'm going to somersault over the, you know, over the, over the fence and I'm going to grab this and I'm going to come back and it's going to be awesome. And they roll and they fail. You know, it's, I don't, it's kind of like the Nicolas Cage movie where he's, they're like this big dramatic moment on the fence. He's like, just go leave me behind and he he drops over and he's like oh and then the guy walks around the fence you know it's like oh wait <laughs> yeah oh yeah you have those moments where it's like you have this big thing and you you mess up you know you rolled the one when you wanted to roll the 20 and you slam into a wall when you're trying to somersault over or you accidentally detonate the grenade on yourself uh, and then you there's, die uh there's a little just, bit of a fun parallel that life is not always perfect and neither yeah. are your games and that's okay yeah that's right it is it definitely is okay so for those dms out there who really do want to get into the pro scene and like you were saying the more the merrier where should they start what's the first step or two that they should take sure so uh i'll just share a little bit about how i got into it uh, i i thought about it for years i'd heard that it was becoming a thing i was like man i want to do that but it seems like a pipe dream so i was in that space where it's like I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I had those same like kind of imposter syndrome doubts. Like I'm not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I heard of a guy who was looking to hire because he ran out of time and he needed more people to come in and take the clients that he was having to turn away. I applied uh, two days afterwards. I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to get this. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyways. So I went into, I started doing some research and uh I found an interview from one DM who uh, was using a service called startplaying.games. And I watched the interview. I was like, man, that's awesome. And what uh, startplaying.games, it's a website. And basically it's a, it's a multifaceted website where for the DMs, they handle billing and kind of the, the scheduling that comes with billing and the marketing portion of things. You have to you have to kind of do th go through a couple of introductory things. You have to like create a game template that is then approved or de or denied. But they'll give you reasons why it's denied, and they ask you to go fix them, and then you do so, and they'll they'll uh, they'll allow it to be on their website to be advertised. Uh, but really, that was the big crux for me is I don't know how to find players that'll join my game. Uh, my I didn't know how to I didn't want to go and ask my warm network of people like hey i know i've been your dm in the past but will you pay me for it now that felt cringy <laughs> to me if so you know if you've got the sales skills and like people in your life that are cool with that then awesome but for me it wasn't an option um so i went there and i i started advertising and took a couple of weeks to get my first player honestly it did like i was just like i was checking it constantly um, but they really do a good job. They do promotions. There's a discord for it. Uh, there's lots, oh my gosh, there are hundreds of DMs there that just want to help other DMs get better at the craft. And it's an amazing community to be a part of. Um, and then on the, and, and for those services of the marketing and the, the billing and whatnot, and that way I don't have to deal with like the taxes because I don't like that sort of thing. It drives me nuts. <laughs> um, they take 10% of your booking fee. It's, it's flat, it's easy, 
it still drove my business through the roof, even with uh, them having 10% of it. Um, and then for the players, uh, they've got some good marketing materials that like gets people out in the world to get interested in the hobby for the first time. And you can come in and you can sort by what kind of game do you want to play? Do I want to play Pathfinder. I want to play Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I want to play Curse of Strahd, which is a D&D uh, subtype. Um, and you can filter them down, read reviews. Uh, there's a profile for each GM so you can get to know them. It's a pretty great way to start. If you're looking to join a game and you have experience, if you're looking to join a game and you have no experience at all, or if you're a pro uh, looking to grow your business, or if you're a brand new person trying to become a pro for the very first time, start playing Doc Games. They're amazing. They've been incredible uh, to, to start with. And, and that's that's how I made it work you know, at the beginning, and I'm still using them. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. Well, we are short on time, but Daniel... There's one more segment before GamerForge. All right. So, Morgan, it is now time for the lightning round. You see, every time that we have a guest on the show for the very first time, I give them a lightning round. The lightning round is just co consisting of a series of questions, usually some very, very simple questions that I fire at you rapidly. And all I want from you is just the first answer that comes to your mind. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to stress about it. You don't have to study for it. I just need you to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Sound good? And don't worry. This, you, know, you won't be shocked like what Bill Murray does in Ghostbusters. Yes, because I'm not <laughs> trying to make you psychic. All right. Fair enough. So, ready for the lightning round? Indeed. And here we go. What's your favorite color? Blue. Uh, which book in the D&D library is your favorite? Ooh, uh, Mythic Odyssey of Theros. It's the game that I'm running. It's, uh, it's, it's Greek mythology take by D&D. And I think they I did an amazing book. job. What's your favorite fast food place? Carl's Jr. Because they have a vegan burger that's pretty good. And if you had if you had to choose between playing D and D, Pathfinder, or a Palladium title, which one would you go with? Palladium. I uh, to I uh, yes, Palladium. It's uh, my favorite system that I've ever played on. It's just not quite as popular, and I can't make my business run off of it. That's alone. fair. No, no, that's totally fair. And then finally, and this is the last question, lightning round. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. What is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film, Kroll? Well, it's amazing. Obviously. And that is the correct answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have to, I'm, I'm going to say this. He's been doing this for over a year now, and that's the first time anyone said that. That's not the first time. It is. Just, no. Remember, remember we had, uh, we had, what's his noggin? Um, uh, the editor, the animation editor who was on uh, about a month ago, and he's like a big Batman Austin? fan too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves Kroll. He didn't, and, yes, but he didn't say it was amazing. I was a first-time guest. He didn't and... say it was amazing. He said he liked it. He said he loved it. He loves well, it. He Daniel, it's fantastic. We've, we've already covered my absolute stunning prowess with movie reviews. So <laughs> I, <know>. I realized <laughs> right. I realized that Morgan Morgan saying Kroll is fantastic in the same episode that he says he loves Avatar as one of his top three films probably is not a great endorsement in your eyes. But I am gonna take it. You wanna know what? Oh, we'll go with it. All right. Yep, yep. We'll go with it. We'll do go we want to do a lightning fast uh, gamer forge? You know, I I have one, but it's it, it, this could take uh, this could take too long to answer, to be honest. Ah, dang it! Let's, uh, let's do it. Morgan's a pro. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it as fast as we can. You think we can do it? Because we haven't sure, done game before. Try. I we did find the question, so let's. Here's right. the question, uh, guys. Guys, keep your answers to ninety seconds or less. Mm, ninety okay. seconds or less. All right. What is the best way to get new players started? And how do you guide them away from standard tropes that are common in character creation? Like, i.e., we met in a bar, or I'm an antisocial loner rogue raised by a pack of wolves since my parents were murdered when I was a young age. <laughs> well, first of all, tell them that you'll be okay, they'll be okay and you'll guide them through the process. That's how you talk to that's how you bring in a new player. Second of all, tell them that that's a trope. And that you can do that, you can build out a more interesting character and then work with them how to do it. Don't just, you know, throw them to the wind and say, hey, do this on your own. You have no idea how. Walk through them with the process. It's really fun. And as a DM, 
when I go through that process and I learn about that character during character creation, guess what? I get to write story arcs about them later because I know who they are. Like having missing daughters and having the whole team try to find them. Yeah, uh, that's a thing. <laughs> also, I'd like to jump on that too and say, look, don't automatically dismiss something because it's a trope. Some tropes are fun and useful, yeah. especially, you know, the first time you learn to ride a bike, you have training wheels. Well, the reason people go to tropes is because one, the idea excites them. That's probably the most important reason. And two, it's an idea they've seen before so they can borrow some guidance from that so i don't think you should necessarily guide them away from tropes especially for their first mm -hmm. time because they're they're cutting their teeth they're learning how and and what morgan said is extremely important you get to build the story as the dm that's how you quote unquote guide them away let them start from a tropish point and then take them somewhere unique yeah, yeah I, I, was just gonna, I was just gonna add to that it, it's okay to change that trope a little bit you know they can still be an anti-social loner, loner, or you could flip that around and they could be an, a, a huge extrovert that was raised by squirrels. You know, it works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're talking tropes in D&D, I mean, uh, if you think about Travis Willingham uh, from the Critical Role series, he started out the dumb brute Grog from first campaign, and then he transformed into uh, Ford in second campaign. Yeah. Ford was one of my favorite characters, absolutely beautifully dynamic, lots of depth to him. But he started with Grog. He, he figured out what he wanted to do with Grog. And he's like, cool, I want to do more after that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'll throw in my hat here, too. Um, two, I have two thoughts. One is the reason for, look, what's the reason for the trope? And throw that out and do something else with it. A lot of times you're meeting in the tavern because that's where you'll be given the quest. And you go on the quest, which is the story. What if your characters are elements of the story? You start off with one or two, they meet each other in the first couple of scenes of the story. You know, maybe one of them is somebody that you initially start fighting. Maybe you're both going on the same, searching for the same MacGuffin and you get there at the same time and there's a little uh, co contest where you're in each other's respect. Maybe you need to rescue one of the things, for one of the characters from uh, the bad guys and then they become indebted to you and join your party. Work your characters into your story. The second thing I'd say is, so what if it's a trope? Some of the best stories and movies out there are things that subvert your expectations. You think it's going to go one way, and then the innkeeper tries to poison your entire party and is actually a part of a dark friend cult or something like that. Uh, it, it's, it, I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> look for look for things like that. Make it look normal and turn out to be something completely not what it seemed. One of my favorite campaigns I ever played in the start was, you know, it wasn't the tavern. We actually woke we woke up and we were all in a prison caravan, locked in our own cells, being taken somewhere, and we had been drugged, so we didn't have we couldn't remember how we got here. And we didn't have any of our equipment. And we had to figure out how to get out of these rolling cages. Um, and we could talk to each other. But a lot of times, you know, the jailer would come in, shut up, you know, keep it, stop us from talking. But it was the funnest way to start an adventure. And it caused, it caused us to start talking to each other and build some sort of bond or relationship. I loved this one campaign that Krebs uh, got, the first campaign that I did with Rifts, actually, where he actually had the character built, and I woke up with uh, amnesia, completely did not know what was going on, but there, was, there were odd things afoot. And uh, he knew what capabilities I had. I had to discover them as I went along. And I believe there were actually parts of the character sheet that he kept hidden from me until I had an experience to reveal them. And the metagaming aspect of that is twofold. One, your, your player is trying to discover their character as they go through. And two, the story kind of helps write itself because he knows he needs to have story beats to introduce this feat, this skill, uh, to discover that you're, you know, I discovered I was extremely good at fighting and was really strong. Um, and then later on, <clears throat> I discovered a um, uh, alien armor uh, capability that I didn't know that I had. And that opened up a whole new world. It was fantastic. 
for whatever it's worth, I did not pay these guys to say these things. So <laughs> thank you guys for going down memory lane with me. That was pretty dope. You paid right. us in, in experience from yesteryear. All right. Well, that is the end of our Gamer Forge. It's that time where we're going to wrap things up. So for those of you interested in a professional DM that will give you deliver to you the most amazing gaming experience you will ever have, go check out Cryo Wind Games at C-R-Y-O Wind, W-I-N-D Games. Um, you know, and, and try to, even if you've never played D&D before, which why would you be listening to us if you haven't? But that's okay. Go try, check it out. You'll, you'll have some fun. And, uh, you know, it'll help Morgan out because we all want people to do, you know, follow their dreams and do awesome things with their day mm-hmm. jobs. Um, I don't even know. It, it's just, it, it, it's awesome to be able to create and tell a story in, in this fashion. I did it for years, which developed into writing and stuff like that. So um, it's always fantastic when we come up with new creative ways to tell stories and not only that, get gaming out there. Because I remember when I was a kid, to, to admit that you were playing D&D meant that you ended up either in your locker or in a garbage can or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just it's cool enough that you could be doing it professionally. That's just awesome. So, yeah, that's a all right, time. folks. Thank, thank you, Nerd, Nerd World, for making that particular aspect of my life possible. Yeah, real quickly, because no one else asked, and we should probably make ask the question, where can our listeners find you is there any other place they can find you other than just googling cryo wind games <laughs> yeah absolutely so i uh, start playing dot games uh you can search for game masters on there and i have a profile you can find me there there's a mess there's a method that you can contact me and whatnot and <clears throat> And uh, just the ticket, the, the full URL there, that's https colon slash slash start playing dot games slash GM slash cryo wind games. Then that'll get you over to me. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you, even if you just want to talk shop and see what this sweet hobby is about. That's awesome. Thank you, Morgan, for being on the show today. Yes, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Well, folks. It's that time. It's that time when we sadly say goodbye. We close out the show. And maybe next week there will be two Krebs here. Maybe there will be a Krebs and an Alton. But either way, we'll catch you next time. Dungeon crawlers, tell your story or run your campaign, whatever may come. And whether you're completely new to RPGs or you are a several decades DM who has never been paid, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.